0: Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and at iaslc.org in the news section.
1: I'm your host, Dr. Jack West, and joining me today on this episode is Dr. Vanita Noronha. Professor of Medical Oncology at Tata Memorial Hospital in Mumbai, India. Dr. Naronha, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you so much, Jack, for having me. We've had a tremendous explosion of new information, trials that have led to new markers, new trials, many exciting immunotherapies in the field of thoracic oncology, but many or I would say most of these are developed in the U.S. or maybe Europe. And I, I'd like to know how well or poorly do these trials that have expensive medications and, and really are questions that are directed toward uh North America or Europe, do they uh, apply? Do they speak to practice in India or perhaps some of the other countries that you have some line of sight about? Absolutely.
0: The the trials that are conducted in the U.S. and in the West uh, and the practice patterns strongly influence our practice in India and I think most other countries globally. And most practitioners in most countries definitely look up to studies that are, are coming from the Western world. But, you know, we we access the NCCN guidelines practically on a daily basis, but but we also understand that these guidelines and and the various uh, studies that are coming out of developed countries are do have limitations uh, when in terms of applicability for our patients. So many times we come across um, problems with patient selection. So the type of patients that are in a particular trial are not immediately applicable to our patient population. The therapy provided may not be similar to what we are actually doing in India, and I think with time we have also seen that many of these treatments may not be implementable, or perhaps may not be immediately implementable. You know, there are financial issues, there are social issues. So, as much as uh, these trials are important, uh, there's I think there's clearly a need. To do trials in India and to make therapy more acceptable to to us, and you know, as I as I was saying earlier, that the onus is on us. We we need to answer our own questions and and answer them in a patient population that we see.
1: Now, your publication, your study on chemotherapy added to Jafitinib was published in. Journal of Clinical Oncology, and I think resonated with a lot of people around the world in terms of its potential implications. But kind of as you mentioned about accessing the information and in the NCCN guidelines, even when you aren't directly using the results for practice because the drugs may be different. I, I think we were looking at the trial of gefitinib with or without chemotherapy that you led as instructive, but trying to figure out how that would apply with some of the agents that that we would be more inclined to use. On the other hand, your study also included a lot of patients with a marginal or poor performance status that really represents some of the real world uh, experience that, that we all see. And I'd be interested to know how strongly your trial has affected practice perhaps in parts of the world where osimertinib is not available, is not feasible because of the cost. Has it had, to your knowledge, a, a, a great impact in India or outside of the Western world where gefitinib is more of a standard of care still?
0: Um, so, before I answer your question, uh, a small correction: uh, I did not lead the trial. The trial was uh, Dr. Kumar Prabash's trial. So he was the PI. He's the senior author on the paper. So this all credit for for the idea and implementation and everything it goes to Dr. Kumar Prabash. So to answer your question, uh, I'll. So let me go back a little. The the trial. This trial was born out of our inability to provide the optimal therapy to our uh, EGFR-mutated uh, lung cancer patients. So that is a quarter of our population. So perhaps 23 to 25, 26% of our lung cancer patients have EGFR-sensitizing mutations. And we were treating them with early-generation oral TKI, so gefitinib and erlotinib we knew that that is not the best form of therapy uh, oc is a great drug uh, you know very very low toxicity and great efficacy but tr- honestly in our practice perhaps one to 2% of patients could afford it because it is almost entirely out of pocket uh, payment and it's just not affordable uh, for our patients so you know that this was something that that really was a problem for us. We are not providing optimal therapy to our patients. So we, we searched, uh, you know, what, what could we do b- better? Gefitinib is very cheap, though, that, uh, that generics are available. Uh, chemotherapy is cheap. So we combined it, and we found that the efficacy was far better, although um, far more toxic, clearly, than, uh, than just an oral therapy. But uh, to answer your question, uh, yes, I, it it has definitely changed our practice, and I have, uh, I believe, I have been, I have been told that it has changed practice in places where osimertinib is not affordable or accessible to people.
1: As a broader question, do you see us needing to have different studies for low and middle income countries compared to trials that are designed? for healthcare systems with much larger budgets for drugs that are increasingly in the U.S. at least costing 10 to $20,000 a month or more?
0: So, um, yeah, there is a huge debate that's going on. I think currently about the optimal management of um, U.S.-based practices, which involve a huge cost to patients. And we have consistently in the recent past specifically that the newer drugs may not be affordable to the majority. Um, you know, in some circumstances, over ninety-five percent of patients, uh, because of the costs, uh, you know, specifically to uh, when we talk about targeted therapy or immunotherapy, one percent of our patients can afford it. So yes, I, you know, there are many patients uh, that we we really need to find treatments that that is affordable to them. So I think yes, we need to have different trials in LMICs, and specifically, I think that's important um, for many many reasons. Um, you know, the, our, um, the type of patients are different. So we have oral cavity cancers, which is our problem. We have gallbladder cancer. So these are cancers that are not as common in the US and a different type of a cancers. We are uh, Our oral cavity cancer is more smokeless tobacco related um, good car, because of gutka chewing. And it's important because um, many therapies required a need, different kinds of supportive care, different kinds of expertise that becomes a limitation in LMICs. So you know, and also many of the systemic therapies have differential efficacies and differential toxicities, you know, based on pharmacogenomic uh, characteristics of patients in different groups of patients. So I think um, a short answer to your question is yes, we definitely need uh, different sets of trials and LMICs for our specific patients.
1: You are on Twitter, and you know, I think that we do have a lot of debates about say, the Adora trial or various other trials that may not be relevant for not just Mumbai, but many other parts of the world where some of these drugs are, are not accessible. How do you view these? Do you kind of roll your eyes and think these are kind of let them eat cake discussions? Or do you think that there could be a role for these debates on a global Level, even though practice patterns are very different in different parts of the world.
0: Absolutely, no, I, I uh, I don't roll my eyes, and uh, certainly not let them eat, uh, let them eat cake kind of attitude. So, uh, India, I think, is is relatively complex, and I, I practice in Tata Memorial, so we have a large proportion of indigenous population, but there is. Certain there are certainly you know high income uh, population group uh, which is a which is a fair amount I you know I think when we have a population of 1.3 billion um, you have a fair amount a proportion of uh, of all you know all kinds of of people so yes absolutely uh, the I think the cutting edge research is absolutely applicable and we do follow it it's uh, just that I, as I said earlier and I think perhaps I'm repeating myself but. We need to solve problems. So I need to solve problems for the patients that I see in my clinic. And I have a a huge indigenous patient population. There are patients who have a lower um, performance status because they have come late to the hospital just because they didn't have the funds, they didn't have the ability. So I need to find out the best therapy for them. And, you know, that's that's what our group is is trying to do.
1: Can you tell us more about the Indian system for cancer care and how centralized is that or, or do huge numbers of patients? I, I believe that the study that we've been discussing of Jafitnib uh, with or without chemotherapy was all done at Tata Memorial Hospital, which to me is astonishing. I mean, you don't think of a single center trial uh, of that magnitude. So uh, how how is it practiced? Do the patients come in massive numbers to one center in, in different parts of the country, or, or are there oncology practitioners, you know, more general oncologists in, in various decentralized smaller villages around the country?
0: Yeah. So I guess in two parts, uh, in in Tata Memorial, we do have huge number of patients, and I think that is one of the strong points. So, uh, one of one one of the um, good the, the things that makes it easier to run trials in LMICs are patient numbers. We did do with our gefitinib uh, versus gefitinib gefitinib plus chemotherapy trial was entirely done in Tata Memorial um, Center, and um, it. Uh, yes, so yes, we do have huge patient numbers, but India is, is complex and you know there are multiple systems that exist simultaneously. So we have institutions run by central government and state government, and we also have multiple institutions in the private sector domain. So there appears to be a fair number of clinicians in major cities, uh, and overall, the number of cancer centers, clinicians, and uh, hospital beds for um, the population is limited. Yes, I I think that overall the system is fairly decentralized.
1: Now, in the U.S. at least, we have a challenge of there being tons of new advances, new targets, new therapies, but it can be difficult to have general oncologists who are treating 10 or 15 or more different kinds of cancer over the course of one day. Be able to keep up with these advances and identify if a patient has a newly relevant molecular target with a just approved agent. How well or poorly are oncologists in India able to keep up with all of these advances? It's it's an enviable problem to have when you have so many new advances in a field like lung cancer that it can be difficult to keep up with them but is that much of a problem or are many of these patients being funneled to specialist oncologists who really are narrowly focused on say thoracic oncology or gi oncology
0: no i think uh, indian oncologists are fairly well updated and um, with all the newer developments and i think more so now uh, with the profusion of webinars and seminars you know there are multiple uh, updates and seminars by various institutions and societies but again, the you know being updated with the latest research and uh, the latest drugs and the latest therapy modalities doesn't immediately translate um, to uh, application in a clinic. So the major limitation remains of financial and cost issues.
1: How are the Indian oncologists generally keeping up? You'd mention people access the NCCN guidelines very frequently. Are there other? online resources that people are readily using? Or what is the main mechanism or leading mechanisms that, that uh, oncologists in India rely on to keep up with the latest?
0: I think primarily seminars, Jack. So seminars, and, you know, I guess now uh, webinars, but, um, you know, ASCO, ESMO, the usual annual um, seminar so i you know i think with the institution of the online the virtual meeting so prior to these webinars you we had the asco virtual meeting so you didn't have to go to chicago to learn about the latest updates and then uh, perhaps uh, to a somewhat lesser extent um, maybe uh, perhaps reading jco and NEGM, but primarily seminars and and, and talks and uh, conferences
1: you have gone to asco and of course Historically, ASCO, World Lung, and other big meetings are a global event where we convene with our colleagues, and there's a a social aspect. It, It generates an energy, a spirit of all pulling in the same direction. Obviously, the pandemic changed that, and you already mentioned that we are facing new issues with virtual meetings replacing in some cases and potentially for uh, some time in the future, these large live meetings. But I imagine that many oncologists in India did not have the time or practical means, the the, the, the funds to travel to Chicago or wherever the world lung meeting was going to be in a given year has a transition to a virtual platform made it easier and better for most oncologists in in India as more of an equalizer compared to being unable to attend these big live meetings historically?
0: I think so. Um, it was, you know, there, there already was some sense of a shift to attending the virtual meeting. And it it makes it so much more convenient. You know, you you uh, it's recorded and you can log on any time you have an hour or two at the end of the day or over the weekend. So, you know, I, I think this is one permanent change perhaps um, from the pandemic that is here to stay because it is just so much easier, you know, uh, keeping up with things. And I, I think I, I listened to Asco and I listened to Esmo over maybe a month, you know, rather than it all being uh, crammed into a couple of days.
1: Yeah, and then another potentially sustained impact of the pandemic is, is in how we actually manage things in the clinic. We uh, at many centers can't have visitors accompany the patients. There's social, physical distancing, and more patients are being managed through telemedicine visits. That's not applicable for every patient, but it has found its way into our practice for at least a subset of patients as a good tool for for some. And I suspect that the practical benefits that we have seen over the last six to eight months as it's rolled out much more rapidly, will carry over beyond the point that we're forced to do that. What has it been like in India? Have have you changed how you care for patients much in the wake of the pandemic, and has telemedicine found its place? So, yes. During the
0: pandemic, especially during the lockdown in India, which lasted several months, uh, our practice had dramatically changed. So social distancing, uh, allowing only one patient at a time, um, not crowding our, our clinic OPDs, And uh, it wasn't that we had to turn away that many patients because patients were just not able to reach our center. They were not able to travel. And a, a large proportion of our patients actually travels to our center from, from far away. So yeah, uh, our practice had dramatically changed. But now that the lockdown is over, and you know things are gradually moving back to normal. And our patient numbers have uh, almost, I, I would say, reached back to what it was at the pre-pandemic uh, times. Uh, you know, people uh, cancer cancer treatment can't wait, and our uh, our, our center is is perhaps as busy as it was before. But uh, yes, we have implemented telemedicine, and there's a huge interest, I, I think, in online information and telemedicine. And currently, I think there are about 100-odd startups that are working on on the development of telemedicine in our country. But there's a long way to go before the majority of the population uses it.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Vanita, for taking the time today. Uh, It's really interesting to me, and I'm sure many of our listeners, to learn more about practice in places that many of us in North America, Europe, or other parts of the world just don't get a good enough appreciation of the the challenges and and opportunities and I want to congratulate you for the work you're doing and how much you're moving the field forward.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was it was really a pleasure and a real honor to get the invite from you. And thank you for all that you're doing. Um, you know, I, I I learn a lot uh, just following you on Twitter. I think so. You know, thank you so much for for
1: everything. Oh, it's kind of you to say, and please take care of yourself. And I look forward to the time when I can meet with you in person again, and and we can all converge in the same places safely. So you take care. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. Visit the news section on IASLC.org for more Lung Cancer Considered podcasts. And please like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud and share them with your friends and colleagues.